0: As we continue our study through the book of Genesis, uh, two weeks ago looked at chapter three and the origin of sin and this depravity of man that it, it entered the world, sin entered the world, and death entered the world, and it was big problems, of course, from there on out. Tonight we pick up with chapter four, and, the, and what we're going to see tonight is a steady decline of, of civilization, a steady decline, and a, and a greater... Uh, nature of sin just unfolding before us here uh, in the early stages of the world and so in Genesis 4 verse 1 we begin now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said I have acquired a man from the Lord first of all Adam and Eve they are being obedient to God reproducing Uh, This is the first mention of sexual intimacy in the Bible, and it was for a specific purpose, not a perverted purpose of any sort, and only between husband and wife, male and female. It's very simple. The Bible makes it clear. We don't have to pervert it. We don't have to get distracted from it. That's what God designed Sexual intimacy for, between male and female, husband and wife, for the purpose of populating the earth. That can only happen between husband and wife, male and female. That's God's plan. That's the way he designed it. It was to fulfill God's plan to populate, but then, so we continue, it was Cain who was conceived in this moment and what does what did they say and as they say Adam and Eve said I have conceived acquired a man from the Lord Cain was a man from the Lord and what they're saying in this if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 we have the first mention of the seed of woman out of the seed of woman would crush the serpent right that was the hope that this serpent that deceived them would be crushed now, they didn't know what that all exactly meant. So, of course, when there was this son born to them, they're like, that's it. He's going to crush the serpent. Sin, death, the serpent, gone. We're all set here. And that's what this hope is. That's what this, this word is here to say, I've acquired a man from the Lord, the one that the Lord was talking about that would crush the serpent. Um, They thought that this was the promised Messiah. And his name, Cain, literally means, here he is. And so they named their son, here he is, this is it. This is the one, the one promised, the Messiah. Fully assuming that this is the seed of woman that would crush the serpent, they thought that he was the Messiah. Verse two, we continue, then she bore again, this time, his brother, Abel. Now Abel Was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Abel, another son, conceived and, and, and born, they were being clearly obedient to God's charge to be fruitful and multiply. But Abel was the keeper of the sheep, a shepherd, and Cain was the tiller of the ground, a farmer. At this point in time, there were really no other options. It wasn't like they had a booming economy where they had all these jobs to choose from. That comes later on in this chapter, we'll start to see. But these are the two jobs that they had to choose from. One was a farmer, one was a shepherd. But they had these things, that, you know, these options for work and these things that they would do. They would put their effort, and in, in that effort, their heart would be poured into the work. And there's fruit from the work. There's fruit from the effort that is put in. And so what do they do? They bring an offering. They each brought their offering, and the, the, the word of for offering is a broad description in the sense of this being a gift for the Lord. There's not a, a reference to a sacrifice for sin here, but it's simply a gift to the Lord. And so they come to bring these gifts to the Lord. And Cain, the idea here is saying that he brought some. Cain brought some of his fruit. And that word that he's bringing, this offering of some in, this fr- in the fruit that he had, the translation indicates that he gave a simple gift out of his proceeds from the ground. And you think, that's okay, that, he gave a gift to the Lord. Yes, we'll continue. That gift did not require any sort of sacrifice. That gift, like I said, in that translation is indicating to us that he gave of his proceeds, of his abundance. And he had plenty of fruit. And so he's, yeah, sure, here's some fruit for the Lord. Here's a gift for the Lord. It cost him nothing. Abel, Abel brought his first and his best. His firstborn and the fat, the the best that he had to offer, and the first of his flock is what he brought to the Lord. This required bloodshed. If you remember back in chapter 3, as we studied, when God gave them covering with the lamb's skin, right? for for them to be covered. It was no longer the fig leaves. It required bloodshed. And so now here in that example, with the requirement of bloodshed, Abel gives something that was of great value to him. This required sacrifice, and it required faith. You see, this is the heart of giving versus the heart of offering. There's two different descriptions here and how they gave, an offering in a sense of like, well, here's what I have to offer. And so I will just offer you, you know, my out of my abundance. But Abel in that heart of giving is that it doesn't matter to me what it costs, I just have to give. And that's what he does. This required sacrifice, it required faith. Giving requires sacrifice. Offering can be given without sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11, because the, the, the question always is, why? Why did God accept this offering from Abel and not accept the offering from Cain? Well, there's some different things that are indicated to us, but Hebrews chapter 11 actually tells us quite plainly. Hebrews 11 verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he, being dead, still speaks. His blood speaks, we're going to see later on, right? But see, Hebrews explains the difference in these gifts. Hebrews tells us that it was faith. It was by faith that he gave, and it, and, it, and it requires faith to give of your very best. It doesn't require faith to give of our leftovers, does it? And thinking, oh, yes, I have some time. I'll give that to the Lord. When I go to bed at night, I'll sit down, and I'll pray, and I'll read the Bible and, and, and if I have time. But if I'm tired or if I feel like just watching some Netflix then I'll give to the Netflix rather than giving to the Lord, right? I'll give to myself, and I'll give to my rest rather than giving to the Lord, right? And, we, and, that, and that's just a matter of time. But how about all the other things? We give not just time to Netflix, we give money to Netflix, right? And there's all these things that we, we have, resources, and we give to so many other things, but do we give of ourselves to the Lord? of our best and not our leftovers at the end of the day, end of the month, end of the year, and see what I have out of my crops rather than giving the best out of my flock. But see, faith is the gift, and faith is the only acceptable gift. You know, we we always say it's the thought that counts. Come Christmas time or birthdays, you give a gift and it's like, hey, that was kind of a lame gift, you know. (laughs) Well, it's the thought that counts. If the gift costs you nothing, there's no thought involved, is there? I mean, right? It's the thought that counts, but the thought and the attitude of the heart is demonstrated in the sacrifice required in the giving of the gift. And that's not to say, okay, Christmas time, you guys have to all just sacrifice and give. I'm not talking about giving to one another. I'm talking about giving to the Lord. And maybe even at Christmas time, we're like, oh, I'm so busy giving to my family. I don't, get, I don't have time to give to the Lord. I got to go, we got to do all the family traditions, but we don't give time to the Lord. We forget. Oftentimes we forget what everything is about, which is Living for Jesus. Giving of ourselves to the Lord. Don't give God your leftovers. Give him your first and best. Time, resources, energy, heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how we are to love. That's how he says you love the Lord with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing else if we, have, if we give all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, what else do we have to give? That's it. That's our whole selves, our whole being, our whole soul. So what we know is that Abel gave in faith. The difference between their sacrifice. So what that tells us about Cain is that he did not give in faith because God was not pleased. With his gift. Hebrews, the same passage. Hebrews chapter 11. There's a great parallel here. Hebrews 11.4. Let's jump. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So what do we know of Cain? His gift was without faith. And because his gift was without faith, his gift was without sacrifice because it takes great faith to sacrifice it takes great faith to give of our best and sometimes we wait and we wait and we wait for things to line up and then we say okay now i'll step and we put the faith in that circumstance We put faith in the circumstance thinking, okay, I'll I'll have conviction once God shows me there's ground in front of me. And much like this drive up Rocky Mountain National Park, when I couldn't see anything in front of me and I was scared and I'm like, is it worth it? And one of the park rangers is like, there's no promise you're going to see anything up there. Uh, Okay. So without that, I'm just like, "Yeah, let's forget it. Let's go back. I'm terrified. I'll just go that little bit further that I, that I had to go because I missed the turn. Just go a little bit further. And then we got to see the fullness. We got to experience this closeness with God in, in that fullness. But it's faith. You can't see. You don't know if you're going to fall off the cliff. You don't know if you're going to crash into somebody else who's coming the other direction because you can't see. And we often want God to clear the cloud when he says, no, just walk with me in the cloud. We want God to, put, to show us the ground in front of us, show us the next step. And he says, no, just step with me in faith. But it requires sacrifice. It requires that ability to just say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Cain did not please God. So we know that his gift was without faith. His gift was without sacrifice. We know that Cain was lacking faith because God was not pleased. And we know that Abel had faith because, one, Hebrews tells us, pretty simple, let the scripture be the commentary of scripture, right? and it required sacrifice it was it's demonstrated that it was a cost to him but now we continue in in a negative response here from Cain right god it's verse 5 he did not respect Cain and his offering and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell Cain had a negative his first his countenance fell right he was angry He's angry at God. He's angry at his brother, right? So, and this is what happens, right? People don't get their way. They don't get noticed. And when we don't get noticed, we get mad at other people. We get mad at the circumstances around us. We get mad at people thinking, why are they getting noticed, but I'm not getting noticed. Look at what I've done for the Lord. Look at what I've done in my job. Look at what I've done for that person, for these people, for the world around me. And we get mad at other people, think they're they not noticing me. And then we get mad at God. Thinking, God, why aren't you looking out for me? Right? I'm reminded of Asaph in Psalm 73 as he writes, like, why do, why do the wicked prosper? What about me? But what does it say that when he entered in, right, to the presence of the Lord, the courts of the Lord, then his eyes were opened. He saw the glory of God. He saw the fullness. He got to experience God's goodness and his fullness. But we get so caught up and we get mad. We, We get mad at God. We get mad at the people around us. We get jealous. What is it fueled in? It's fueled in pride. His countenance fell because he was without faith. You see, we can have our countenance, it won't fall if we walk in faith if we make sacrifices that are by faith and not to be noticed but his his countenance fell because he was without faith this this gift was not given in love and with faith but it was done in pride demonstrating Cain's need to be noticed that same desire that we all have right we're going back to the beginning here sin nature guys pride it's the root it's pride it's the root it's it's proving to be the root of sin but specifically here it's proving to be the root of sin toward one another because that's what we're going to see unfold here Pride is the root of sin, From that, the, the root of the reason why Cain eventually kills his brother. And we continue, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it why Cain God knows the answer this is rhetorical but he's why Cain it doesn't have to be this way that's what God is saying why Cain if you do well won't you be accepted God knows the heart. God knows that this was, a, this was a gift given without sacrifice. He knows it was a gift given without faith. And he says, Cain, faith is good. And if you, if you do well, that, that being faith, right? If you do good, if you do well in faith, won't you be accepted? Hey, Cain, hang in there, buddy. You can change. You have a choice to make. God is trying to motivate him. He's giving him positive reinforcement, guys, right? He's saying to him, Cain, it's not too late. Just because I didn't accept your gift doesn't mean I don't accept you if you walk by faith. And this is setting the table, right? This is setting the stage for salvation through faith. And he's saying to me, if you do well, you're gonna be all right. Don't give in to the sin that's knocking at your door. Don't give in to the, to the, the temptation right now, which is pride. This is, this is fueling you, right? It's burning inside of you this pride. Don't do it, Cain. He says, but if you don't do well, sin is destructive and it's knocking at your door. This pride and this jealousy, it's right there. Watch out because it's destructive. And that pride and that jealousy, man, when it's inside, it's one thing, right? And we always have this opportunity, right? Pride doesn't start externally. Where does pride start? Internally. So pride starts right here in my heart and mind, and pride plays out in my interaction with other people. And that's what God is giving him an opportunity To stop right there. Don't give in to the pride. Don't give in to the sin that's knocking at your door. Cain, you've got a choice to make here and now. You can rule over your sin or your sin can rule over you. It's knocking at the door. By faith in God, by walking by faith, you can resist pride. Every one of us can resist sin and pride through faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So with faith, it is possible to please the Lord. With God, all things are possible. It's possible to overcome sin. But without faith, it's not possible to overcome sin. Like I said before, this is clearly setting the stage for salvation by grace through faith. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This is where he crossed the line. You see, the pride and the jealousy was internal up until verse 8. And God tried to stop Cain and say, keep it in. Overcome the pride, overcome the jealousy, overcome the sin and the rage and the bitterness that is pounding at your door. And you literally feel it sometimes, right? When you feel like you haven't gotten your way. We're like the toddler. The toddler in us comes out. The temper tantrum is boiling inside and we are ready to burst with wrath. Some of you are laughing. You're like, yes, yeah, it's true. That's what's happening here. And God says, you have a choice. Stop. You see, God always gives a way of escape. Corinthians tells us that. There's always a way of escape and Jesus became that way but here he gives the way out. Don't give in to the temptation, Cain. He gives us a way out. You might be overcome with different thoughts in your mind and your heart, and you're struggling with pride, with sin, but God will give you a way out. He will say to you, hey, remember, that sin that's knocking at your door, you don't have to give in to it. I've given you victory through my son, Jesus. Here in verse 8, though, he crosses the line. Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Now, maybe he came to him and confronted him. Now, Abel, listen, I want you to see things my way, right? Let me just explain myself because in our pride, we're like, let me explain. Let me help you understand why I'm angry. Really, just don't be angry. That's what God tries to tell Cain is like, hey, dude, you don't have to play it out. You can swallow your pride. You don't have to give in to the temptation. Maybe he went in that idea, let me talk to Abel, let me confront Abel on this. You know what, pride wins battles. It wins, and you're like, "Why? that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry, humility wins, pride doesn't win battles. (laughs) You're like, wait a second, that's just not right. You're right, pride does not win any battles. It might feel like you win over something. It might feel like you won an argument. But, but pride doesn't win people. It doesn't win relationship. It doesn't win uh, nearness with the Lord. Humility wins. And God gives that opportunity here. But he goes to his brother. Now, whether he went in that pride and like, Abel, let me explain to you. Listen up, brother. Or... The idea here really seems as though he, he lured his brother. Eh, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's walk and let's talk. Let's have a little, a little conversation, a pleasant stroll in the pasture over here. And in that, I mean, going and, and, and taking this time to go with his brother, it's showing the murder was in his heart. He had allowed it to boil up, and he crossed the line. This was Cain's response to God. God had called Cain to overcome sin, providing a way of escape, and Cain's response to God was premeditated murder. Taking his brother out for a walk. sin was getting worse and worse here sin started with disobedience eating uh, right eating the fruit now it's getting worse now we've got murder we've got we, we've had pride we've had this idolatry that's taking place but now it's distorted even more we've got murder imagine for Adam and Eve the son that they thought actually might be the Messiah just killed their other son The one who they thought would have victory over sin and death could not overcome his own pride. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? God, God, God knows, again, the answer. Where is your brother but much like in Genesis chapter 3, God is giving an opportunity to make it right and confess. Cain, where's your brother? This would have been a good time for him to say, I've sinned. I have sinned. I killed my brother. But he doesn't do that, does he? Much like when God gave Adam and Eve the, re- the opportunity to respond, to confess, what have you done? What happened? What were they doing? They were hiding. And Cain's response starts with a lie. I don't know. God says, where is your brother? I don't know. He's in the same, much like his parents, hiding. Starting with a lie. An attempt to hide his sin like Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. And tried to cover themselves in their nakedness, in their fear, and their shame. There's a little less shame here, and he just lies to God. I don't know. But his response continues, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? The way that they were would be walking through the pasture, through the fields, and talking in the garden would indicate a trust that Abel has for his brother. So in a sense, yeah, he's the older brother. He actually should be his brother's keeper. But he got it wrong. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he is. Am I my... And this is something we, we throw out there all the time. We're like, I'm not responsible for them, for other people. Maybe it's younger brothers and sisters in the faith. Like, I'm not responsible for them. Go help them out. If they're younger in the faith, shouldn't we help them? And that's not to be the the keeper here is not the idea of like, I care for everything for this person, but to be a helper, a nurturer, and an older brother would very much be a keeper for a younger brother. The older should be looking out. In verse 10, we continue, and he said, what have you done? Another rhetorical question. But then continues, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. I I believe that as a farmer, Cain was very successful. I think out of the the fruits that he had, the abundance that he had, he gave to the Lord, and now, no more. You don't have a green thumb anymore. You got a black thumb. My wife has a black thumb, by the way. Um, any plants we get, if you ever give us a plant, it will die. Not that we don't want them, you know, but we've gotten plants. Oh, there's always high hopes for the plants. And, you know, my, my wife's like, we're going we're gonna to make it grow this time. We're going to keep it alive. I'm not even looking to make it grow. Just keep it alive for more than two days, you know. Just the other, like, a couple weeks ago, she got a plant to put in front of the house. A day and a half later, it was dead. I don't, it was obviously, there was something wrong, but she has a gift with plants. But first, as God says, what have you done? He knows the answer to this, but he's speaking a judgment over Cain. What have you done? That's the tone in which, what have you done? I mean, like you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. What have you done? God knows exactly what he's done. And that's what he's saying to him. Cain, I know. Because your brother's blood cries out. Another parallel here in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 24 says, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of Jesus has completed this whole thing. What what an incredible parallel to the redemption we have in Christ. The first blood was shed and that blood went into the earth and then that blood continues to speak. And what does it speak? It speaks death. It speaks sin. It speaks judgment over Cain. But the blood of Jesus speaks better things. The blood of Jesus is the new covenant. And so then, as it continues, he says, you will be cursed. And this curse would be greater than the curse of Adam and Eve. They're already cursed. He already has to work the ground because of the curse. And now he's going to work the ground in vain because of his curse. Greater than the curse of his father, You will have to work harder and yield less fruit. And we can thank Cain for the hard work that yields no fruit, right? And he says also, you are cursed from the earth, which is meaning here that he has no place in the world. As he's cursed from the earth, and, 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 and it says there in verse 12, when you till the ground, you shall no, no uh, longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be. You're going to be a fugitive. You're not going to have any place. I mean, imagine now the population of the earth is his family, and he just killed his brother. You think he's got a place in his house? You, gotta, you think he'd go back to mom and dad? Hey, how's it going, guys? What happened? Oh, I killed Abel today oh, it's okay, have a seat, here's some dinner. He has no place. He's going to be a fugitive, a vagabond. He's not going to have a place in the world, always on the run. Verse 13, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will, it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. A couple things we see here. First of all, complaining. Complaining. I cannot bear the consequences. I cannot bear the punishment. He's crying out to God. But this gives a really clear indication of where his heart was. The heart of Cain was not, sorry for my pride, which could have prevented his brother's death. Sorry for killing his brother. That wasn't the heart of Cain. He doesn't say, oh no, I'm sorry Lord, what have I done? He says, this punishment is too hard. He's not sorry for killing his brother. He's not sorry for crossing the line and and walking in sin and choosing to sin. He's sorry that he got caught. He's sorry that he had to face the consequences. And he's sorry over the severity of the consequences. I've You guys know, I've got four kids. We face this all the time. Somebody gets caught, and then they're really sorry that they're going to be punished. They're going to be disciplined, right? We see, this goes back to the beginning with Cain. It's the same thing. He's sorry he got caught. He's sorry that the consequences are so difficult. He says, I cannot bear it. God, why are you so harsh? It's not God's fault. But again, he's blaming God. We do this. We act this way. We we blame God for the consequences. We don't want to deal with stuff. We just want it to be done and over with. And think, oh, well, yes, Cain is dead. But why do I have to deal with the repercussions? Or Abel's dead, sorry. This would have been a great time for him to repent. But. As he cries out, God hears. and God is still merciful. And protected Cain even to not be killed. Perhaps to not influence of a repaying evil for evil. And let's remember that the population is very slim at this point. And one already got killed off. Let's not kill off another, right? I mean, there's, there's a reality to that. There's a practical side of that. But God not wanting sin to abound... Saying, okay, well, if, if they found out somebody comes against Cain and then kills Cain because he killed Abel, and then what? Then somebody gets mad at that person that killed, that killed Cain who killed Abel, and then they kill that guy who killed Cain. And it just goes on and on, right? And so God, not desiring that sin would abound, that murder would abound, says, no, nobody's going to kill Cain. If they do, it's going to be harsher consequences than even this. And what does he say? Sevenfold. But we see the heart of Cain. But in that heart that is not to, of real remorse, of repentance, but of sorrow over his consequence. And this unfortunately happens far too often. Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Cain flees because there's no place for him. God said he would be a vagabond, God said he would have to just be wandering. His whole life, he's going to have to wander, and so he begins the wandering. He flees, and it is a fresh start, too. He's like, i got to get out of here. Uh, and Cain clearly had to marry one of his sisters uh, for the purpose of populating the earth. This is before God forbid it and before the Levitical law. Let's note that. But what does he do? He goes and he builds, he builds a city. The beginning of man-made civilization, which is the beginning of a not God-centered civilization. That's what is the fruit of Cain. A lack of dependency on God. Coming away after giving of the leftovers. And guys, this is such a picture of empty religion here. Giving out of just ritual, giving of the leftovers, and then going and making it with our own hands and saying, here's how I'm going to do life. And we're cutting off the relationship with God. He builds this city. It's not God-centered. It's man-made. Building up of industry and building up of trade, building upon the pride of of man, the pride of Cain that he never overcame. And then we see the beginning of a decline continuing and sin abounding. But verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehujel, and Mehujel begot Methu- Methushel, and Methushel begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naima. So civilization advanced very quickly here. And what we see, right, so he built the city. Then they have more children. Those children have children. And as time goes on, this civilization is advancing very quickly. And there's tent building, right? We have the construction workers, Right? That's what's happening. You see things start to unfold. Remember, at the beginning of this chapter, there was two jobs, farmer and shepherd. It was very simple. Remember, before sin, there was no work that actually had to be done, right? It was was not this, you're going to sweat and you're going to work hard. It was just, man, you're going to enjoy God's creation, and you're going to manage it, and it's going to be a beautiful, glorious thing. But then sin, death, the curse... The curse brought that hard work, the sweat, that, the hard work that would go into tilling the ground, shepherding the flocks, and those were the only two options. Now, civilization is advancing, and as there's advance, there's a more booming economy, and there's the construction job that needs to get done, the tent makers, or the tent building, and, and then there's the playing of the flute and the harp, right? And, and there's music and art and entertainment, All these things that start to happen in civilization, we're like, those are all good things. Yeah, are they? But are they really? Is that how God designed? And then the instruction of craftsmen, the trade schools. Guys, all of the work is a result of the curse. And the advancement of civilization is a result of the curse of Cain, Does that mean I'm telling you all quit your jobs? No, because we're living in a cursed world. (laughs) And God has told us in the curse that we have to work and we have to work hard, right? But we have to, you know what? We have to beware and look out for the advancement sometimes. And what's going to happen later on after the advancement and the civilization that just keeps going, keeps going, keeps advancing, what happens? The Tower of Babel when people think they can reach God. And what happens whenever people think they can reach God? God's gonna humble them. And we live in a world today that its civilization is advancing. We have all the technology and the cool gadgets and everything. and Man, we're just getting better and better and reaching higher and higher. And we have this worldwide impact now that can happen like that, right? All the media, the technology. The things that are happening is people trying to advance further and further to reach God. What's going to happen? God is going to humble people. But this, as civilization advances quickly, verse 22, and as for Zillah, she also bore, oh, I'm sorry, we already, I read this already, verse 23, then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-fold, seventy-sevenfold. As civilization advances quickly, sin also advances quickly. This is sin nature. People get more and more creative all the time. Lamech took two wives. The first time we see that in, in history, that wasn't God's plan. Nowhere do we see in Genesis 2 that, that Adam had, you know, God made a, a woman for Adam and, and, he, and then another woman for Adam. and No. But Lamech took it upon himself to have two wives. The first time we see it bringing about great immorality. And a focus on the outward appearance and even the names that they were given is speaking of their outward beauty. And that's the immorality that starts to set in, this focus on the outward. Having two wives, it's not a good thing. And God will later address it, but the pride of Cain was passed down and expanded upon. Sin keeps progressing. That's what we see here in Genesis chapter four. It's like before service tonight, Walt and Mike were asking me, hey, so what's the, like, the, the message tonight? I know it's Genesis four, but what's the message if there's a song that we could do? And I'm like, Cain killed his brother. Um, sin advances. Sin is abounding. I mean, that's kind of the message of Genesis chapter four. But we know the whole story, right? There's great hope. There's the blood of Jesus. And as sin is progressing, Lamech, he even boasts in his sin. There's no shame. No shame at all in this murder. I mean, Cain, he murdered his brother. God said, where's your brother? I don't know. And he tries to hide at least. Lamech's like, hey, wives of mine, listen up. There's exclamation there. He's all excited about it. And he's telling his wives, oh, I have two wives, by the way. And listen to this. I killed somebody because they wronged me. Seriously? Is that something to be proud of? But that's where he's at. That's how far sin has progressed. In just this chapter We've gone from sin of killing his, uh, Cain killing his brother, and now it's progressed generationally because nobody was redirecting. Cain ran. Cain didn't, get, get, didn't, he didn't make it right. He didn't repent. He didn't confess his sin. He kept running, kept trying to hide, kept walking and, and living and working out his pride. And as he kept working out his pride, it worked out generation after generation to now this progression of sin. It's not good. He's just boasting in this murder. Things had declined so much that this murder was boasted about. And Lamech claimed even a greater retribution than what God gave to Cain. God gave Cain this protection and said, listen, anybody who kills you, Cain, it's going to be sevenfold the retribution, right? But now Lamech, he's not hearing anything from God, but he takes that mercy given by God and he distorts even that. He says, oh, if if Cain was given sevenfold, I get 77 fold. Let's fast forward. Have we ever heard those numbers used before? When, when Peter, how many times should we forgive? Is it seven times? No, it's 70 times. Seven, Jesus says, right? Pointing them back to the beginning. To the beginning of sin and the progression and the, the demise of people. Of the sinful nature. The decline of civilization when it comes to righteousness. And Jesus, being the fulfillment of the the new covenant, says, no, it's 70 times 7. Remember those numbers? Lamech was so prideful, and he puffed out his chest over his sin. But what's interesting is he amounted to nothing. Here's this man who thought, I will be... I killed this man and nobody's gonna come and nobody's gonna kill me. I'll I'll be great is what he's saying. I will be great and even the, the, the mercy of God over Cain is nothing compared to what I will have. But there is not another word spoken of Lamech or his descendants in the entire Bible. He amounted to nothing. Because that's what happens when we try to rise up in our pride, God will humble us. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also... A son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Adam and Eve had many other children, but Seth is specifically mentioned because through the lineage of Seth would come the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 5, next week, we're going to get into a little bit more of the genealogy as we can start to connect the dots here from the beginning all the way to Jesus, the Messiah. And it's also, we see this here that Seth is mentioned, and and we have that promise of the Messiah, but what we see is this contrast as well between the lineage of Cain and the lineage of Seth. As it says there in, in that closing statement, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Quite a contrast to Lamech, right? These men are beginning to call upon the name of the Lord. Through Seth, the promise would be fulfilled. The men began to call on the name of the Lord. That's a good legacy, not rooted in pride. Let's pray.